Welcome to episode 92 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on July 26, 2018. That's right, the exact same day we recorded our last <laughs> podcast. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show with me. As always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, how you doing, sir? I am doing well. I feel like you and I are both like speeding bullets on recording today. We're going as fast as we can, which for reasons which you will explain very shortly. That is absolutely 100% true because, dear listeners, if you caught the mid-year check-in episode that was published uh, right before this one, episode 91 then you will know that we are recording episodes 91 and 92 in an unusual way because of scheduling conflicts. We end up uh, having to do both episodes on the same day, but we are going to release them a week apart because we had a week coming up where we could not get together to record. So we didn't want to leave you high and dry without an episode. So we figured we would do two in one day and then space them out so that you guys, our favorite people, our dear listeners, would not have to go a week without listening to our ridiculous bullshit. So we are already in, <laughs> we already do the show in a little bit of a time warp because we do the banter first and the game talk second, which is a little bit mind bending, but we are pushing our time distortion powers to the max this time. <laughs> uh, in any case, today is also special for another reason besides when we're recording it. Instead of our usual formula, today is nothing but Q&A. We asked our fantastic listeners, which is you. Uh, for questions, and you guys did not let us down. So uh, today, no games chat, no banter. It's just me and Corey uh, answering every single question that you guys sent in. And we are on a little bit of a time crunch today, so we're going to get right to it. Are you ready, Corey? I am ready. Excellent. Okay, without further ado, we're going to get right to your Q&A. First one comes from good friend Finder. He says, what genre or type of game do you wish you liked more Mine is party-based CRPGs, computer RPGs. Corey, what's your answer? Um, before, um, I already have a housekeeping note before we even get started, which makes oh, me seem so ridiculous. Housekeeping. I okay. want to make it clear before we start that I don't know about Brad, but I don't have his answers in front of me. So any like organic discussion that comes up between the way we're answering things, like I didn't want to read his answers before, so I don't know what he's going to say. So um, do you have my answers in front of you, Brad? No, I do not. I only have my answers. So neither, oh, one, neither one of us, we don't know each other's answers. So this is this is off the cuff. This is legit for real. This is an actual discussion happening in real time, although it's recorded <laughs> for you. But for us, it's happening in real time. Yes, yes, yes. So I just want to make that clear going in. Um, but for mine, um, I thought about this for a little while. And I think, um, I think the big one right now, and this is kind of maybe a silly one, is... Any, like, Battle Royale games, like, Fortnite is the big one, or maybe, like, PUBG. And it's not so much that, like, I have this, like, yearning to play these games. I just feel like Fortnite is such a big... It has such, like, influential power in pop culture right now, like, almost in a way that, like, uh, like Minecraft kind of did whenever it came out. Like, people... Like, there's so many people playing Fortnite and so much... I'm like hullabaloo around it that I'm not really like super duper interested in like mechanically sitting down and playing it, but I feel like I'm just missing out on some kind of like cultural inclusivity in like this like mega pop culture moment by not having played it. Um, which I mean, I know I could like boot it up and play it any day, but I'm just kind of too lazy and I don't feel invested enough to want to play it. But that's like the immediate one that came to mind, like not so much just to play it, but just to like be a part of this video game pop culture movement. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. I feel that way about any game that comes out, which, I, you know, there's a bunch that, like, for whatever reason, get really popular. And inevitably, it's usually something that I just have zero interest in. And then I hear people talking about it on Twitter. It becomes like the zeitgeist and everything. It's like, <laughs> you got to be part of this to be part of the discussion. And then I, it happens all the time. So uh, don't feel bad. I, you know, I felt the same way about Fortnite. I, you know, we talked about it on the show before. I played it when it first came out with the Save the World mode. I thought it was it was OK, but kind of dull. And then when the Battle Royale mode came out, I played that, and I'm like, okay, this is fine, but it's kind of dull. But it just fucking exploded. My son plays it for, like, hours a day. Like, he is so addicted to it. And I've actually been putting more time into it because he wants me to play with him. And I'm like, okay, this is this is one of the games that you and I can work together on. It's because it's not Minecraft, and it's not something that's just really 
uh, mindless. I mean, it, so it's not my favorite kind of game. I don't love it, but I have been playing a fair amount just because my son likes it. But I totally get you. Like, I, I can't even begin to count the number of times when something cool has come out and I just don't give a shit, but you got to play it anyway <laughs> or else you're just left out. So I totally hear you. Um, as far as what type of game... I wish I liked more. So Finder said that his is party-based computer RPGs. Actually, ironically enough, that is exactly what I would have picked as well. I don't like those games, and it seems like I should. Like, I think that they theoretically are my jam. But every time I try to play them, they just feel really, like, too big and too in-depth. And playing on PC is not great, so I usually have to play a console port if one ever gets ported. And I just... I just can't get into them i feel like i need like like more action or maybe it just needs to move a little faster or i just don't want to spend an hour searching a room for every little item that i can pick up and you know a thousand quests and i gotta like they just feel really heavy and really big to get into and like they feel like a task like a really (laughs) onerous kind of a thing to get into but i really wish that i could because i hear a lot of people talk very favorably about them. A lot of people that I respect or a lot of people who generally we share good taste with. Um, I just, I just, I wish I could get into them. And every time I play, I just, I get really tired and I feel like I'm overwhelmed and I just, I just can't get into them. So Finder, you and I are on the same page. I've heard nothing but good things about CRPGs and I just, I can't get into them. You say you can't get into them either. So we are in the same boat. Um, so yes, there we go. Uh, Corey, Finder's next question. What is your favorite underwear brand? <laughs> I guess also we should make clear that some of these questions are not video game related, obviously, but we are Yes, we said we would answer answer anything, anything anything at all, doesn't matter. Any question, we're open, we're very, we're just like, you know, our lives are open books here, we'll answer any questions. So yes, Corey, favorite underwear brand, please go. Um, I laughed when I saw this question, and then I immediately had a concrete answer for it, um, because I do have a specific kind of underwear that I love and wear like 90% of the time. it is, Target has a brand called C9. It is their athletic wear brand. It is by Champion, which is sort of like their umbrella uh, brand. Their C9 line is specific to Target. Um, I wear Target's C9 uh, athletic boxer briefs. I wear, that. They, they, I have to make some important distinctions here because they have a lot of different kinds of them. They have long length ones that are like kind of like lower thigh, maybe like six inches above the knee or something. They have regular length, which is just like, you know, regular, I guess, like boxer brief length. And sometimes they have short ones or trunks and they're like a little bit shorter. They're kind of like a perfect little like rectangle kind of, um, if that makes sense. I wear the regular length ones because the long ones, I have some of the long ones and the long ones like make my crotch very swampy because it like traps the heat in too much but the regular ones don't and also they have different kinds of them they have a four pack that's cheaper i do not like the four packs because the they don't like pull up enough like i don't know if that makes sense but like the area between like my junk and my belly button, they don't go up high enough. So I usually get the two packs or they might even have one packs and they're a little bit expensive. I'm not going to lie. Like they're not cheap underwear. It's not like a Hanes pack where you get like, you know, I don't know, six pairs for like $10. These are like $25 for two pairs, but they're worth every penny. They're tight enough to keep your junk in place without... Um, like feeling like you're suffocating and that your junk's going to fall off. Um, they're not swampy. If you get the regular ones, they're, they just, they're just perfect. They're like the perfect underwear to wear. They don't write up at all. They don't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're wearing underwear. Like you don't notice them there, but like your stuff is all in the right space. Like it's not like jumbling around and in danger <laughs> of, you know, getting hurt or flopping around. I, I cannot recommend Target's C9 underwear that comes in the two packs, not the four packs, uh, highly enough. I, I love them, and I wear them almost exclusively. Uh, that was way more specific and way more info than I was <laughs> expecting. So that was that was a very thorough answer. I applaud you. I have actually never tried the C9 brand, but now that you have... Uh, have waxed so enthusiastically over them, maybe I will check it out next time I'm at Target. I had a much simpler answer... Um, and the word swampy was not at all in my response. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say this just regular standard Hanes boxers, which 
uh, are actually not really as cheap as they used to be. I went to buy some some more underwear the other day, and I was like surprised at how expensive all of it was, which, I mean, I guess you're not buying underwear all the time, or at least I'm not buying underwear all the time. I feel like I get a pretty good amount of use out of my underwear. Um, but yeah, they were not super cheap, but yeah, just standard boxers. I The ones I wear are usually like, maybe like, I mean, I don't know, an inch or two above the knee. So they're not super short, but they're not super long. Nothing particularly fancy about them. They're just, you know, just regular old boxers. So I guess I, uh, I'm pretty simple when it comes to my underwear demands. <laughs> I didn't know. We've never discussed, like, what kind of underwear guys we are. I didn't realize you were a boxers guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we are just that much closer, Corey. We're, we're, we already shared so much, and now we've shared that as well. We did. Uh, we did. We did. Okay, that's it from Finder. Thank you very much for your questions. Corey, do you want to read the one, the next one? Yes, this is from uh, at Breakabone, a.k.a. Earl, on uh, Twitter. Hello, Earl. I have met you, like, four times at this point. Um, he lives in New York. Uh, we, Patrick and I saw him in New York. Uh, he's been to New Orleans. No, maybe I've only seen him, like, twice. It's irrelevant. I've seen him a few times. Um, three times, I think. Uh, his, he has multiple questions that are video game movie related um i'm gonna read through all four of them and then we'll discuss them one at a time how does that sound sounds good all right so the first one is uh about video game movies why don't you think they've worked in the past the second question is do you see the tide turning anytime soon the third question is which have you seen did you enjoy any of them and the fourth one is what is a franchise you would like to see as a movie and which as a game should we, you want to like tag team off of each one? Let's do that. Let's do that. I'll answer the first one. And then you want to chime in after I get my answer? Yes. Okay. So why don't they, why, why do I think they haven't worked in the past? Okay. Um, I think that directors or producers or whoever, they see the popularity of a game. They're like, oh, wow, this game sold 10 million copies. Clearly there's a fan base. We can sell 10, 10 million tickets. But I think when people who don't play games, who are not actual real fans, they don't understand what makes that game cool. Like they see the, the hype or they see the the excitement for it. But if they don't play, if they don't experience it for themselves in a genuine way, they don't understand what is so good about it. Uh, and if that's the case, then it's impossible to translate that to film, because if you don't know what people like about it in the first place or what the best parts of it are, then it's impossible to get that down on film. Also, I think that when these people make these these movies they they want to just like give you a very surface level read so while they may be better off taking an idea from a game or taking a theme of a game and making its own thing from that which we'll get to in a second that is a much better way to go rather than trying to replicate the video game experience on film because you can already play a game you can already see a game you don't need that in a movie like what you want is something that goes deeper or something that encapsulates the feeling of the movie. You don't really just want to see a game on a big screen like that. So I think that in general, that's why they haven't worked because people just don't understand the games before they try to make it. And they give you a very, very surface level reading, which most often than not misunderstands what makes the game cool in the first place. Corey. Um, my first response is um, as to why haven't they've worked in the past is because uh, most video game stories are bad. They're just video game stories are not usually very good. Um, uh, I feel like historically, and even currently, a lot of muscle is not put into storytelling and into characters. And I mean, that's okay in a game more often than not, because say you spend, you know, five minutes of a five hour game watching cutscenes, and you spend the rest of that time actually playing the game where there's not a lot of narrative happen happening. I mean, there's just a, a greater imbalance there. Whereas in a movie, it's like narrative pretty much almost all the time, unless it's just an action movie that has a bunch of action. And I, I just don't think that video game stories are very good. And I feel like if you take a bad a story that's already bad and try to put it into a medium that is almost entirely story based, like it's just a recipe for uh, disaster. And also it's because movies and video games are two completely different things. I mean, movies are a passive medium. You go to a movie, you watch it, you don't participate in the story. You have no, um, decisions or no impact on what the characters do, what the outcome is. You just go, you watch it, you leave. But with games, your input, I mean, for most games, your input is everything. The entire experience is about how you control the game, how you control the narrative, or however much you can control the narrative, um, and the experience of playing the game itself. And so 
it's hard to replicate that or maybe impossible to replicate the feeling of having, you know, full narrative control over a game into a movie. And at the same time, I don't like when games take so much control of the narrative that they don't let me choose like sensible things that I would choose in real life. So it kind of works both ways. If games become too movie, like I tend to tune out and if movies become, I mean, I guess movies don't really become too game like because you don't play them. Um, but it has kind of a reverse effect on whenever video games try to become too much like movies, I tend to tune out a little bit. But uh, those are my answers for that one. All right. Next part of the question. Do you see the tide turning anytime soon? Uh, my answer, not really, because I think it takes a special kind of person to really distill the good part of a game into a film. And there are so few games that actually would make good films. But I do think we're getting less of the stinkers. I, I, it seems like people are not churning them out as quickly as they used to. It seemed to be like there was just like one every other week for a while, like just a lot of ad adaptations that were really crappy. So I think that maybe enough producers have taken a bath on these that we're not getting as many. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that that tricky um, feat of taking a game and making it a good movie is getting easier or, or is going to ever be easier. I think it's just a very individual case by case basis. Corey. Um, I think that, uh, lately, some have been getting better, and I say this having not really seen any of the recent video game movies, but, like, Rampage uh, was technically a video game movie with The Rock, and the Tomb Raider reboot with Alicia Vikander was a video game movie, and, you know, from what I, I like, I didn't see either of these, but they seem to be both, like, not like, you know, obviously they're not going to be, like, Oscar nominees or whatever, but they're both, like, well-received enough as just kind of, like silly fun action movies and i feel like that's sort of the key to turning the tide is you know you're not going to take a video game and turn it into like a multi-oscar and golden globe nominated movie like the odds of that happening just don't seem very high to me so if like directors can get on board with the idea that okay we're taking kind of a silly popcorn video game and we're going to turn it into a silly popcorn movie i feel like that's more of the route to go in order to make things a little more successful Agreed. 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 Uh, next question. Which have you seen? Do you enjoy any? I've seen many. I mean, I, I looked at a list on like Wikipedia and there was actually a lot more than I had realized. And a lot of them, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe anybody even tried to make that a movie. So I haven't <laughs> seen I, I, I don't think I've seen the majority of what you would categorize as, um, you know, game adaptations. But I've seen several. I've seen many. And do I enjoy any? The only two that I really can say that I honestly liked. I thought the first Mortal Kombat was really good. I went back and watched it, I think, last year. And it was slightly trashier than I remember, but it was still pretty good. Like, it was still pretty fun. I thought it was worth, uh, worth watching. And the soundtrack just really brought back a lot of memories. So that was pretty good. <laughs> and actually, it's funny you mentioned Rampage, Corey, because I did see Rampage. I thought it was quite good. And it was exactly like you said. Like, it was um, big monsters rampaging around the city, you know, wrecking shit. Uh, the Rock was doing his standard rock performance, which is fine. Very appropriate for the film. It just was a good time. And they had a lot of homages to the game. It wasn't a one-for-one -one, um, uh, recreation. They just took, like, the ideas and kind of did something different with it. But it still had the same spirit of the of the game, which I thought was great. And it was a very fun uh, very fun movie. We really enjoyed it a lot. So Mortal Kombat and Rampage are the two that I liked. What about you? Did you uh, Have you seen a bunch, and did you like any of them? Uh, the ones that I could think of off the top of my head that I had seen, I've seen both the first Tomb Raider movies with Angelina Jolie. I've seen both Mortal Kombat movies. I've seen both the Silent Hill movies. And I've seen, I think, the first three Resident Evil movies. Um, I don't know if I've seen the other ones, but because there's, God, there's like, I don't know, like 15 of them at this point. I think I've seen the first three or four. Um, I liked the original Tomb Raider. At the time, I thought it was really good. Going, It's one of those movies where you go back and watch it now and you realize that it's actually really silly and really cheesy, but I liked it at the time. I also liked the second one at the time. Uh, Mortal Kombat is good. I kind of sort of firmly believe that the first Silent Hill movie is maybe the best video game movie that has been made thus far, maybe. Um, it's certainly not great by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it was pretty good. Like, it captured a lot of the spirit of Silent Hill, even though it kind of, like, bastardized some of the characters in it. Um, but those are... And I, I do like the first Resident Evil movie. I think it was pretty good. I mean, again, probably one that if I went back and watched it today, I'd be like, ugh, this isn't as good as I remembered. But, you know, not hot garbage by any stretch of the imagination. 
All right. Um, now he's got one more final part of his question. But before we get to that final part of his question, uh, just not to be that guy, but we got to probably do a little time check because we have a lot of questions and a lot of these questions are really good. And we've got about 45 minutes or so. So we should probably be a little peppier with these. Otherwise, we're not going to get through all of them. So all right. not to cut you short, not to cut myself short. And I certainly don't want to... Uh, cut our listeners short because I really appreciate getting these questions, but we just are up against a hard deadline today. So just let's keep that in mind. Um, and if we, if we don't wax uh, lyrical on your question, we really, really apologize. We're going to try to get as many of these in as we can. So uh, final question of, from Earl, what franchise would you like to see as a movie and which as a game? Uh, I would like to see vanquish as a movie. Uh, I don't think that the story is really worth telling, but I love the, mechanical suit that the guy had and i think that would make for some pretty amazing special effects action sequences and i'm totally fine watching a special effects movie uh with a sci-fi robo suit and shit blowing up (laughs) i think that would be pretty fucking phenomenal and what movie would i like to see as a game this is a very easy one first thing i thought of one of my favorite movies of all time big trouble in little china i love that movie (laughs) love that movie love it uh, I could easily see that as being an art action RPG with an emphasis on RPG, very much something like The Witcher 3 in terms of structure, where you could be like in San Francisco, open world, and you could talk to different people in the city. And then there would be like this magical underworld where you would encounter all these different monsters and ghosts and witchcraft and stuff. That sounds fucking badass. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat if anybody would make that game. Corey, uh, what franchise, what game franchise as a movie and which movie as a game? I think um, franchise game as a movie, I'd probably like to see Condemned Criminal Origins done as a movie. I feel like it has a lot of potential to be... Ooh, that very, would be scary. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it could be like a horror movie. It'd be probably very seven-ish, uh, in my opinion. Uh, fun fact, my senior year of college, I actually took a screenwriting class and adapted the video game as a movie in my screenwriting class. So at one point... I wrote an entire script for a condemned movie, but I don't think I have it anymore, nor is it any good, but that's beside the point. Um, and which movies would I like to see as games? I think I would like to see an Inception game. I think with the sort of structure of the world and the physicality of the world, that could be a really fascinating game. I also would love like an Atomic Blonde game because I love that movie. Yeah, and if I could just, see that. Yeah, if it were just like Charlize yeah. Theron kicking ass for... You know, like a six-hour game, I'd be really down for that. Those are both really good answers. I could easily imagine both of those things working. See, we ought to be producers in Hollywood, <laughs> and or we could be game producers in Silicon Valley. We would make this work. This would be good. Uh, next question comes from uh, Goodman, Thief of Hearts, one of my favorite dudes on Twitter. Love this guy. He sent us a slew of questions, uh, so let's just get to these as quick as we can. Uh, he says, game or game series you wish you could enjoy more? Kind of like Finder, but I think maybe more specific. Uh, rather than genre, which specific game do you wish you could enjoy more? Corey, what is your response? I actually didn't really have an answer to this. I was going to fall back on Fortnite and just sort of answer it as the last one, but I realized that it is like game series you could enjoy more. I thought about this, and I know there's an answer out there. I would just have to rack my brain more than I want to spend time doing to get that answer. So I apologize, but I don't have a good answer for this. Uh, my answer kind of almost in the same vein as the answer to finder, uh, but, but being very specific Planescape torment. So that is a CRPG, which I don't like playing, although I think I should like it. Uh, it's been touted as having one of the best stories in all of video gaming. And I'm very interested. I've heard nothing but raves for it from people who I really respect and trust, but it's an older game and it's on PC only. And I tried to play it and it was just a fucking shit show nightmare. (laughs) I just couldn't. The interface was really bad. There were a bunch of mods that I couldn't figure out how to get to work. I was really frustrated because I just was just really bouncing off of the interface and just not having grown up playing CRPGs. If you try to get into them now, I feel like it's a very steep hill to get over. I mean, I'm definitely consoled with core, have always been console. And I just just going into that type of game and that kind of environment was very challenging. And I got to say, at this point in my life, I don't have the desire to climb that particular hill. So if I had to pick one game, definitely Planescape Torment. I really, really want to get into that and have that experience, but I just feel like I can't. So um, there we go. Next question from Thief of Hearts. Game concept or mechanic you want to see, but never see it these days or very rarely? Corey, your answer. 
Um, the best one I could come up with is one I've seen before, but I would like to see more of it. And this is a really bad answer, but I'm a big sucker for bullet time in games. If you can let me slow down the action and really like focus in and do that kind of thing, I really like that. And I feel like it comes and goes, and I haven't seen it lately in any games that I can think of, but I'm definitely a sucker for bullet time. Bullet time, bullet time. For me... I like the concept of stealing parts from enemies and then using it for yourself. So it's kind of a weird one. You have to have the right setting. I mean, it's got to be some kind of like robotic or biomechanical or something like that. But uh, there was one game that was out on the PSP a while ago, which was a tower based game. And I can never remember what it was called, but there's not very many. I think tower was actually even in the name. Um, (laughs) But you play this weird little biomechanical dude and you come across enemies in this room. And every time you blew them up, you like you could steal their head or you could steal their arm or something. And like, you know, like they would have like guns attached to the heads or swords in their arms or something. And like whatever you were getting your ass kicked by, like if you killed that person, you could steal that thing and use it for yourself. And I just really like the idea of like rebuilding your character as you progress through a game, like like literally replacing your arm or replacing your head or replacing your chest or something like that. Really cool, very specific, kind of like Giger-esque, kind of biomechanical weird thing. Don't see it very often, but I would love a game where they really like went whole hog on that. So I would look forward to something like that. Next question. Uh, biggest invisible issue directly involving the current game industry? A little bit of a big question here. Corey, your thought? Uh, the big, the one that I could think of immediately, and I hope this answers the question, is that um, I would just say the general cycle of game development right now, like that there's too big of budgets for games, that there's too much crunch time, the video game development space team seems to be very white, male, straight, dominated, and I feel like it needs to include more women and more marginalized voices. Uh, but those are the big ones I could come up with. Just like two, I mean, every story I read about developers in the game sphere, it seems like video game development is like the worst job ever, and I don't understand why why anybody does this because you work your ass off for, to make these games and then you put it out and everybody hates you. And I don't, I, I, the video game sphere is so toxic and that's probably the big one I could come up with. I don't know if that answers it well, but that's what I thought of. We're kind of thinking along similar lines. Um, <coughs> excuse me. My answer was that, uh, a little bit more specific. Sorry, I'm getting a little pollen, a pollen tech here. <laughs> Sip water. Sorry. Um, <coughs> I think unrealistic sales goals are stifling developmental risk-taking. So it feels like, not so much in the indie space, I feel like creativity is still strong in the indie space, but when you're talking about bigger publishers, it seems like everybody wants to have this giant hit. They've got to hit a certain certain sales mark or else it's a complete failure. And, I mean, that leads to people being very scared. Like, okay, well, we know this formula worked. Let's go back to this formula again because that way we know we're going to sell X amount of copies. But then it turns out to be the exact same thing we played last time. And that's fine for a certain percentage of the population. I know some people are fine playing the same thing every year, but ultimately I think it's really unhealthy and really boring and just really uh, leads to a lot of stagnation. So I think that having those unrealistic sales goals really kills a lot of good ideas, kills a lot of creative gambling, creative risk-taking that would ultimately probably lead to a lot of really cool things and may even lead to like the next big thing. But we just, uh, we can't get there because people are too scared of taking risks. So we, we don't end up getting those opportunities. Thankfully, the indie space is there, but I would like to see AAA developers taking more of a risk. Also, um, not really an invisible issue, but I do think the toxicity towards um, women and minorities is super, super awful. Uh, So I do think that, like I said, not invisible, but really a big issue that is very much involving and impacting the current game industry. A huge topic there, but I wanted to give just a quick shout out that that's always on my mind. And I would like to see that uh, change for people to be more inclusive as well. Uh, next question, biggest overrated issue directly, directly involving the current games industry. I didn't really have an answer for this one. I, I'm trying to think of something that was really overrated, which I don't think is a big, actually a big deal. And I didn't come up with anything. Did you have an answer for this, Corey? Yeah, I don't really think I understood the question here. So I didn't, um, I didn't have an answer because I, I didn't know what an overrated issue involving game development is maybe i'm just dumb and i don't get it but i didn't really understand it yeah i mean i feel like most of the issues we talk about these days are actually pretty legit so i don't know of any that are really like oh that's not an issue or that's overblown i mean maybe there was one but i'm not coming up with it so i'm sorry thief i don't have an answer for you 
Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, maybe if I thought about it longer or maybe if we had more of an example, I, I'm just drawing a blank. Sorry, man. We let you down on that one. Um, but you got a couple more. Uh, next question. What is a dumbass trend in gaming uh, or development or in the press that you want to kill right now? Corey, what is a dumbass trend you want gone? Uh, the first one that I can think of is uh, people being mad at games and developers for taking hard stances on hate speech. And the first thing that comes to mind immediately is Rainbow Six Siege because they recently rolled out a thing where if anybody playing the game uses any kind of like racial slur or homophobic slur or any sort of like hate speech that's kind of directed to marginalized groups they like immediately ban the player for i think it's like a half an hour and then they let them back in and if it happens again they ban them again for like a, a day or a week or something and then i think if they do it three times they ban them forever um i think that's great i what i don't like is people is the assholes that get mad about it. Like, you know, if I playing video games with somebody and I call them gay as like a slur and then I get banned and then I get mad, like it just doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of crybaby white boys out there who think that they can weaponize language that doesn't belong to them. And then they get mad whenever the developers retaliate because there should not be a space in games for this kind of hate speech on a regular basis. And I wish that more developers would take a hard stance like this uh, against sort of that kind of speech or that kind of activity and that kind of toxicity within their games. And I'm really proud uh, of Ubisoft for doing that with Rainbow Six Siege. But that was the first thing that came to mind for me. Also, uh, I actually literally picked that exact thing, although <laughs> I didn't I didn't use the Rainbow Six um, example, but I just I just as in general, I was thinking of some bullshit uh, asshole YouTubers lately who were trying to say that language is evolving and therefore this hate speech that I'm using doesn't mean what it used to mean and I'm using it in a different way that therefore I have a right to use it the way I want to fuck you fuck you <laughs> like both ways upside down six ways from Sunday you fucking assholes you don't get to do that anybody who pulls that card complete fucking asshole so yes I said I picked the exact same thing knock it off with the fucking hate speech we need to have zero fucking tolerance on that so I agree with that I also had one more um, I think a really uh, more of kind of like a down to earth, just kind of a gamery kind of issue. Uh, something that's a really fucking dumbass thing that I think needs to end is these high end collector's editions that don't <laughs> include the motherfucking game. There's been like four or five recently where there's like a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars for the the prestige edition of whatever game it is. I think Red Dead Redemption Two is the most recent one, uh, where they have like the the plastic horse and the cowboy hat and the cap gun and then the little. Uh, you know, the recipe for tacos and like it comes with all this stuff in it. It doesn't come with a fucking game. Why? Why would you buy that shit if it doesn't come with a game? Completely stupid. Completely stupid. I don't know why anybody puts up with this bullshit. That trend needs to end. Okay, let's move on. Uh, favorite Transformer and why isn't it Waspinator? Well, Thief of Hearts, you actually don't know that it's not Waspinator because I love Waspinator. But before I give my Transformer every answer, Corey, what is your favorite Transformer and why is it not Waspinator? Um, I've never been into Transformers, so I can't give a good answer. The only answer I can say, and this is the most basic-ass answer on the planet, is Optimus Prime. And the only reason I say that is because whenever I was in college, I used to go to band and drumline parties all the time, and I didn't drink when I was in college, so I would always DD. And every time I was ready to leave the party, I would say, Autobots, roll out. And that was how I, like, gathered the crew that I brought yeah. to the party to leave with. So I just sort of default to Optimus Prime for that. That was amazing. Did you, like, assign them all different, like, Autobot <laughs> code names? <laughs> no, I mean, if I had done that, they were usually too drunk to, like, really get around well. So it was just the one Autobots call, and that was it. That would have been fucking dope if every person had their own Autobot name. That would uh, that's, that's, that's a missed opportunity. That's too bad. <laughs> Uh, all right. As far as I am a hardcore Transformers guy, maybe less so since um, having kids and having a job and stuff. But I still, I still keep a finger on the pulse of uh, trans fandom. I definitely, I my collection is ridiculous. It's it's absurd. So I know about Transformers. I love Transformers. Waspinator is by far one of my favorites. So I don't say that he is my favorite, but boy, he's he's way up there. He's like top ten for sure. Um, I mean, I think the answer of Optimus Prime is correct because Optimus Prime is, he's fucking iconic. I mean, he is like the Transformer. Everybody loves Optimus Prime. People who don't even know Transformers know Optimus Prime. I mean, he is like, he transcends uh, the Transformers cartoon. He transcends the toy line uh, because he is like the, like the ultimate example of like the good, the heroic, 
the fatherly, the caring, you know, non-toxic masculinity. It's fucking Optimus Prime. He's fucking dope, dude. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when I was growing up, he was like one of the two people who I looked at as like a surrogate father figure. So Optimus Prime is always the correct answer. Um, to get a little bit more in, in detail, though, I really like Skylinks, who's kind of a, I don't know if he's really obscure, but he was from Generation 1. He was like a space shuttle that had a little cargo module that he uh, flew around with. And he turned into like a kind of a bird-ish sort of thing and a and a, a lynx, and then he combined to make like kind of a combo animal. He was not the best transformer, pretty janky to be honest. Like he was not <laughs> great, but something about his design just really always stuck with me. I just thought it was so cool that he was like a shuttle with his box, and then they came apart, and then they came back together. And when you put them together as the as the combo unit, I always thought it was really interesting and neat. Uh, because he kind of retains some of his space shuttle characteristics as as an animal. I don't know, just something about him. He's he's like, I mean, he's honestly kind of a shitty toy, but I just liked him in general, like the concept of him. Uh, and also, I mean, I got to take the easy answer. And basically all of Beast Wars is amazing to me. It's all my favorite. Uh, I was actually talking to my son about this the other day, and I'm not shy to say uh, I own literally every Beast Wars toy that has ever been created in America. So I have a pretty amazing collection of Beast Wars. I'm a big Beast Wars fan. It would be impossible for me to pick a favorite out of that because, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's impossible. But all of Beast Wars, including Wasp Bader, is the best. So there you go. Thank you very much for those questions, Thief. Uh, Corey, you want to read the next one? Uh, yes. This is from On Laid, <laughs> um, who is... You noted a long time Game Critics reader, Rob Scott. Um, Good guy, Rob Scott. Good guy. And in fact, he actually, little known uh, fun fact, he was actually in the running to become uh, a possible podcast host when Tim stepped down. Um, so he was very close to actually being the next Game Critics uh, podcast host. We ultimately went with Dylan Collins, uh, and Dylan was a great guy, no longer with us. Uh, rest in peace. But Rob is a great guy, and I think he probably would have done a great job as well. So there you go. Uh, fun fact. But what is his question, sir? His question is, what are the areas in games or gaming that have seen the most improvement since the last generation, in your opinions? Um, this was a tough one, because I don't feel like many things have changed since the last generation. And some things that have changed have not been great. Uh, <laughs> I think, like more like the, the shift towards online i'm not super excited about and about how you know the ship it now patch it later is is just getting worse and worse and you know those sort of things um but if one thing that definitely did improve is vr i mean i think nobody can argue that vr has taken a big step up this generation uh it's actually a thing now it's actually a thing you can buy it works really well um i personally don't care about it but like if i had to pick one thing that was a clear step up i think vr is the obvious answer uh, otherwise I am happy to see that indies are still getting, they're kind of making like a mini comeback on platforms on, on consoles and stuff. I know that they've always kind of been there, but it felt like they were kind of dipping away for a while, which was kind of sad to see, but I think they've come back strong, especially with the switch. I feel like indies are back and they are better than ever. So that's a good thing that I feel like has improved slightly since the last gen, but overall I think VR is the biggest step up. What about you, man? All right. I've got a few short answers. My first and my most ridiculous specific answer is eyebrow movement in facial animations. Whoa, that is hyper-specific. I love it. I know. And it's because, it, I mean, facial animations obviously have come a long way, but that's like a graphical thing. But I feel like a lot of games now are doing eyebrows well with like furrowed brows and surprised brows and just good facial animations for characters because like eyebrows are incredibly expressive to the human face and a lot of games focus so much on the mouth movement for voice acting or maybe like just the eyes squinting a little bit that the eyebrows are left completely out and uh eyebrow movement has become better this generation that's my specific answer um a couple other shout outs um just overall storytelling in games is getting better i mean the longer games go on the more i feel like developers are realizing that strong characters and important stories are uh, something that needs to take precedence in gaming now. So we're seeing a lot more focus on writers and directors and producers rather than just the game looking as good as it can or, like, the game being 50 hours long. Like, that's one. And my last one is um, just inclusivity of um, indie games, kind of piggybacking off yours, but also about, like, non-traditional gaming. Like, when I think this, obviously I'm thinking about walking simulators because that's, like, totally my jam. But, like... 
you know, I feel like 10 years ago, if you had put out a walking simulator on the Xbox 360, people would have been like, what, what the fuck is this? Like, what, what is this garbage? Like, you're just walking around looking at things and the game is over. Like, this is dumb. And some people still think that about those games now, but now you're getting, because PC games and console games are getting so much closer to merging, um, they are able to take this genre that's kind of been around on PC for a while and make them come over to consoles a lot easier. So just like the inclusivity of games that aren't, you know, just games where you're shooting a hundred people and the game's over or games where you're climbing. Like I like that walking Sims and indie games that are just non-traditional have been allowed a better space and have gained more of an audience on the new consoles. Those are great answers, man. Those, I'm very impressed with those answers. I especially love that eyebrow <laughs> answer, dude. That's a that's a really good call out, man. I mean, I think you're totally right. It didn't occur to me, but now that you say it, I'm like, yeah, dude, absolutely. Like, people, eyebrows have been ignored for way too long. I think you're 100 right. Serious for sure. Now Serious. every game that anybody plays after they listen to this show going forward, they're gonna just be looking at people's eyebrows the entire time in the game and waiting for those eyebrow movements whenever they talk. Be the change you want to see in the world, and we are about that change. We are about the eyebrow change here at So Video Games. Uh, next question comes from a uh, good man, friend of the show, Warframe uh, aficionado Michael Pren, good man over in Louisiana. He says, if you could magically change the way all people everywhere viewed you, what would you change? So a non-video game question. Corey, if you could mag- magically change that, the way people viewed you, what would you change? Okay, this is one of those really like deep soul-searching questions that I had a hard time grappling with, and this answer is kind of kind of maybe a little shallower than I would like it to be. And I um, Oh, no, no, no. I have the shallowest answer, trust oh, okay, me. Okay, okay, okay. Um well, my my immediate answer to this was sort of like uh, I don't know, it's hard to say this cuz I feel like whenever I say it it's going to sound bad, but I'm going to try to like backpedal to explain myself. And the immediate thing that I would want that I would want everyone to change their view about is just about like upon learning or discovering that I am gay to maybe like rid themselves of any stereotypes that they consider about gay people because I live my life I'm I'm a gay man like I I'm not trying to hide it but I'm also not the kind of person that when I shake your hand and meet you for the first time I don't say hi my name's Corey I'm gay like I'm not it's it's a part like being gay is obviously a part of me but it's not who i am and so and i'm obviously like i don't think i'm living some top secret life where everybody that meets me immediately thinks i'm straight like i feel like for most people it's pretty obvious that i'm gay when they meet me but what i don't like is all of these sort of like stereotypes that come along with being gay like if i like say if i meet someone and then they discover i'm gay like a week later Um, and they didn't realize it beforehand or I hadn't mentioned it beforehand. I don't want them to immediately think like, oh, this guy must like baking and he must like makeup and he must like, you know, like girly things, like feminine things. Like, I don't want that. Like, I want those stereotypes to kind of be, um, I don't know, just like gone. Like, I don't want gayness to be stereotyped or that kind of stuff. I mean, sort of like with like, you know, lesbians, I'm sure that not all lesbians love being categorized into, like, women who like hiking and who like outdoorsy <laughs> stuff and work in a car. You know, it's just, like, really, like, lame, like, shallow stereotypes like that. Because, like, yeah, like, I wear makeup sometimes, but also I know how to shoot guns. Like, I have a motorcycle and I ride it. I just like the balance of, like, masculinity and femininity within anyone gay or straight. So I feel like that's sort of, like, the overarching answer for me is, like, just like if I could change anything about the way people view me, they would not learn I'm gay and then immediately like stereotype me into this box of feminine gay things that they've learned from pop culture and TV. You don't want people to come to you for like interior decorating advice, basically. I mean, I would be awful at that. If they want to come to me for fashion <laughs> advice, I could probably help. But like interior design, absolutely not. Okay, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. That be, I, I hear you and I think that is a very fair answer. My answer, okay, yours sounds like deep and introspective compared to my fucking answers. <laughs> my answer would be number one, I would like people to think that I was taller than I am. <laughs> number two, I would like people to think that I had tighter abs than I do. And I think that I would like people to view my teeth as two shades lighter than they are because I've been a hardcore coffee drinker for probably more than 20 years. And that has a toll. So my teeth look okay, but like, I would like them to be like two shades whiter. So that's basically it. I mean, maybe that's a good answer. Maybe it's not, but like, I feel pretty good about myself and I feel good about where I'm at. And 
Um, generally, just pretty happy with my whole situation. I mean, the abs could be tighter. I could be taller. <laughs> teeth could be wider. But other than that, I'm totally fine. So I think that's pretty much my answer. Hopefully, that will satisfy you, Michael. Thank you very much for the question. Uh, Corey, what is what is the next question on our docket? Uh, this one is from My Sinclair, a uh, frequent commenter of our shows on Twitter. I love My. Um, She's great. She's the best. Indeed. She asks, uh, what game in your life has had the greatest impact on you, either as the most emotional moving or either as the most emotionally moving or actually changed your life in some way? Uh, you know, I was... I was thinking about this for a long time and I wanted to have a different, I have one stock answer that I always talk about. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show before. I wanted to have a fresh answer, but I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And like, apart from certain games, which have affected my life by making me lose too much sleep and exhausting me and making me have poor performance at work, which I don't quite think (laughs) is the right answer to go with. um, There haven't been a lot of games that have really like touched me emotionally. Like um, very few have really, I mean, I have appreciated them and I have liked them and I've, you know, been on a journeys with them and like the stories, but like, it's very rare that I will walk away from a game and feel like I am changed as a person or, or it made me think about something like in a different way or something that really gets to me as a human being pretty, pretty rare. I know that it's happened, but goddamn, if I couldn't think of a single fucking thing to say. So, um, I, I have to fall back on my stock answer and I apologize. I know you guys have probably heard this before if you listen to the show, but I keep coming back to clock tower where uh, you know, the story I'm going to tell, right? Corey. Oh my God. I, did I hear this story in person the first time you told it or was it on you a might, podcast? Probably both. Cause it's really the only, every time somebody asks me this question, this is my stock answer and I feel bad, but I'm going to roll it out again. Anyway, <laughs> clock tower on PS one. I think it was. <laughs> Where you play, you know, Clock Tower is a is really oh, it's a classic. cheesy, yeah, it's a classic Japanese horror game where you play as a group of teenagers. Actually, you know, the structure of this game is actually really fascinating. We should talk about this sometime because you play as a group of kids and if the kids get killed, the story progresses. And there's like so many different um, endings and so many different branching paths. It's actually a way more sophisticated game than people give it credit for. It's not just slasher horror. I mean, I think that the, the branching narrative is pretty good, and it's something that really is worth some examination. Uh, but you play as a group of kids who are escaping a slasher killer called Scissor Man, who, surprise, surprise, has a giant pair of scissors. And there's one particular building where there's elevators, and you got to go back and forth uh, between floors on the elevator. And sometimes Scissor Man will come and attack you in the elevator, or sometimes not. And once in a while, you'll see him in the hallway. You'll jump in the elevator, and you'll push the button, and then you got to hope that the doors are going to close before you go to the next, you know, before he gets you, right? And sometimes if he's close enough, he'll stick his scissors through the crack of the elevator doors and get you. Sometimes he won't. It's really stressful because you don't know what's going to happen. And ever since playing that game, like literally every time I get in an elevator, every single time for like the last, like probably like whatever, 18 years or something like that, (laughs) I always think, are these doors going to close fast enough to stop Scissor Man from stabbing me? And then when I push, I get inside an elevator, I push the number button, like whatever floor I'm going to, and then I wait and I immediately count how long before these doors start closing? If the doors start closing immediately, it's a good elevator. If you push that button and the doors kind of pause, I'm like, oh, bad elevator. And then I jam the door close button. And if the doors don't immediately start closing when you hit the door close button, that is a fucked up, dangerous, like taking life in your own hands elevator. You got to get out of that elevator. It's a bad elevator. So literally every time, every day, nonstop without fail for my entire life since playing Clock Tower... I am paranoid about, like, how fast the doors close in an elevator. Literally every time. So that's probably the biggest impact a game has ever... So trauma, basically, PTSD. (laughs) Traumatized. That's the biggest impact on me. Corey, uh, what what about you? I I, I hope it's a happier impact than the one I just described. Um, I have uh, a couple. I mean, actually, I have three. The first one will be quick. Um, The biggest emotional impact I think that a game has ever had on me is playing Silent Hill 2, which is... My favorite game of all time. Um, it's one of the very few games I've played in my life where I firmly believe that you have to have a lot of life experience whenever you play it in order to fully understand it and get it. And the first time I played it, I did myself a disservice because I was like 12 the first time I played it and I didn't really understand what the game was and I didn't really like it a whole lot. But years and years later, I played it and understood what the game was about and it sort of had a heavier gravity for me. And I was a mess after I played it. I sat in front of my TV and cried for like an hour after I played it because it was just such a powerful story to me. Um, so that that's the most emotionally, like, uh, I guess, like, respondent I've been to a game um, that really, like, fucked me up. And a couple other ones that are on happier notes. Um, 
no surprise, Deus Ex Human Revolution. Um, I am obsessed with that game. I literally think about it every single day of my life. I have a half-sleeve tattoo that is inspired by Deus Ex Human Revolution. After playing it, it really changed my ideas about um, design, about uh, visual design, about the game, about the way things look in the game, about fashion, about colors. Uh, I just love it, and it really informed a lot of my views and influenced sort of like fashion decisions and decor decisions and stuff like that going forward. I still see stuff to this day, and if it's like a black and gold, like, you know, polygonal like candle holder, I'll be like, oh, Deus Ex, like immediately. And I just, I, my mind is always there because the game had such a strong, um, uh, it, it had a, such a strong uh, visual design that was really cohesive with the entire world. And I think it's a really difficult thing to get in games. And I loved it. Um, the other one is Mirror's Edge, which uh, for obvious reasons, I did parkour in college. Now I photograph parkour a lot. Uh, Mirror's Edge is not the reason I got into parkour, but it definitely kind of happened around the same time I was getting into parkour. Uh, for a while when I was doing parkour in college, I wore the color red a lot dominantly, and red is a dominant color in the game, so that informed some of my like decisions on, on clothing at the time. Uh, so both of those games have had uh, positive sort of everlasting impacts on my life. Excellent. Good answers. Very good answers. Yeah, I do I do feel you on the um, Deus Ex Human Revolution uh that is a fantastic game. Like I also was, I mean, not not to the degree that you were affected, of course, but I was very um, impressed with the visual design, and I think it's a very stylish, a very singular game that even the, even the other games in that series have failed to live up to. I think that was definitely a um, a very good pick and a very very noteworthy installment, just kind of in games and in terms of style, uh, something definitely worth looking at. So that's a really good answer. Okay, quick time check. We've got about fifteen ish minutes before we have to pull the plug. We've only got two questions left. Uh, well, two, two people with questions left, but one of them is pretty big. So we're going to have to like, we're going to, we're going to do our best here. Uh, the next question comes from our high seven, 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 who is a good guy. Talk to him very often on Twitter. Uh, love this guy. He says, uh, I'll do the small question first. What is your criteria for picking the next game on your backlog to play? Corey, what is your criteria? Uh, mine is whatever I feel like playing next. I play it. That is also my answer. <laughs> Uh, but I, I also want to add on um, if de if developers or publishers send us codes or if there's something going on at Game Critics that needs coverage, I will try to prioritize those things and talk about them on the show if I can, if we have an extra code or if there's uh, if, if I'm going to cover it on like for review, maybe I'll also talk about it. So if there's something that I can somehow work into, uh, you know, grist for the Soviet Games mill, then I will try to prioritize that. Uh, and, and recently, especially over the last couple of weeks, I've definitely been playing things that I really didn't want to play, but I figured it would be a good play for the show. And so I've talked about a number of those things. Uh, it's usually the ones that I end up not liking and I talk about for five minutes and I move on. Um, but yeah, basically, whatever I'm in the mood for, and that's more or less my only criteria. There's no real other criteria for that. Uh, okay, so now the big question, and probably the biggest question of the show, also from High 777 uh, says, probably a tough one. But can both of you give us your top 10 games of all time? Yes, he drops the bomb. He drops the big one. <laughs> he asks the major question of any games writer anywhere. Can you give us your top 10 games of all time? Now, I now full disclosure, I keep a running list of my top 10 games of all time. And I have previous iterations. Like, I could go back probably for 10 years and tell you what my top 10 games were of that year. I keep a pretty good list because I think that's really useful exactly for situations like this. Um, so I have a very updated list and I spent a lot of time last night. I just realized I hadn't updated my 2018 list in a while. And I'm like, you know, this feels like the wrong list. I feel like there's many games on here that should be here that aren't here. Thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. And I finally came up with a much better list. So I got a good list to go. Corey, do you have a top 10 list you can roll out here? Um, I, I have 10 games I'm prepared to name. I have a top, my top three is pretty definitive, but the rest are just kind of like there, not really ranked in any way. And also I could maybe like sub some like runners up in and out of them, but I do have 10 prepared to talk about right now. All right, let's go through this pretty quickly. So we can, I feel like we can get all the questions in if we get through this quickly. So let's do your top 10, just run through them, you know, 10 to one or whatever order you want to do and give us like one sentence for each of them, why they're there. And then I think that'll be a pretty decent coverage. All right, uh, my top three, my definitive top three should come as no surprise because I've already 
talked about all of them on the show already. Uh, favorite game of all time, Silent Hill 2. Uh, my second favorite game of all time is Deus Ex Human Revolution. My third uh, favorite game of all time is Mirror's Edge. Uh, the rest, 4 through 10, are kind of neither here nor there ranked, but I'll just read through them. Um, Fallout 3, Mass Effect 2, Resident Evil 2, Perfect Dark, Superhot, Condemned Criminal Origins, and Hitman Blood Money. All right, give us like one sentence on each of those. Why do you pick those? Just real quickly. Uh, I'm going to start. I'm just going to do the 4 through 10. Um, Fallout 3 because... I spent like a hundred plus hours that might not seem like a lot to a lot of people. And it's not a lot to some people. I spent about a hundred plus hours playing all of it and all the DLC. I love it. One of the few game franchises that I've considered getting a tattoo for, but I have not yet. Uh, Mass Effect two, maybe an unpopular opinion, but I believe it's the best in the series. I loved uh, building the relationships with all the characters in the game, which is a big focus on the game and the real uh, big narrative focus of it. Resident Evil two, because it, is magical i don't know what else to say it, i think it was a little bit ahead of its time i love classic resident evil uh fixed camera resident evil and i think it's the best of that bunch perfect dark because i played it i think it's better than goldeneye people remember goldeneye more fondly but perfect dark is a better game it has a strong female protagonist um played it for hours and hours and hours and hours on n64 back in the day super hot because it is the most original game I've played probably in a decade. And it's one of those games where if I have someone over at my house who might not even be a big gamer, I'm always like, hey, have you heard of Superhot? Have you played it? You've got to play this game. And there's not very many games I can do that with with people. Condemned Criminal Origins, because it is an amazing first-person uh, survival horror game. Incredible combat. Incredibly visceral. Really grim. Love it. Hitman Blood Money. The best, minus maybe new Hitman 2016, I think it's the best Hitman has ever been. I played it a lot. I just love the Hitman franchise because it offers me something I can't get anywhere else as far as the mission structure and the open world design and the getting in and getting out without anybody ever knowing you were there or going guns blazing if you want. And I think Hitman Blood Money is phenomenal. Fantastic. Good answers. Good answers. That's a very solid top 10. Uh, I will go to my top 10 and I will read them in like reverse order. So starting with 10, uh, number 10, Marvel Puzzle Quest. I've probably, I, I, not probably, I have <laughs> put more time into that game than any other game in history, which is quite a bit of time. Um, I think despite the fact that it's an iOS game and it's also kind of a free to play sort of a game, the, the mechanics are really astounding. The developers have gone above and beyond improving it like year after year. Um, it's a great use of the license and it has just killed so much time for me in such a good way. Like I just, I think it's a fantastic, uh, match three, one of the best match threes, I think that's ever been made. Uh, really enjoy that very much. Number nine would be Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney on 3DS, uh, visual novel with everyone's favorite, uh, attorney Phoenix Wright. The story was really strong. I think that the character was really interesting. Uh, the premise of just being an attorney was very interesting. And I, I mean, really iconic. I think that first game just ended up really influencing a lot of people and having a very strong presence. And also the final case in that game was just like, it, it was breathless. Like I was on the edge of my seat waiting to see what was going to happen, how it turned out. I mean, there were so many good moments. And despite being a visual novel, like it was pulse pounding. Like I just was, I was, could not click the text fast enough and get through it. It was just <laughs> really, really great. I will always love that last case in Phoenix Wright. So amazing. Uh, number eight is one we uh, discussed, well, we discussed just a minute ago, but for listeners, it was a week ago, uh, West of Loathing on Switch. That one is a very recent entry, but I feel like it's very worth it. Um, I don't award perfect tens very often, but this one got a perfect ten for good reason. I think the writing is phenomenal, extremely funny, extremely clever. Game design was very smart. Um, I, I was never bored, literally never bored. I did basically every quest I could possibly do. I did everything, and when I was done, I still wanted more. It was a fantastic experience. One of the best RPGs I think I've ever played, for sure. Uh, number seven, Monster Hunter as a series. If I had to pick one specific entry, I probably would pick Monster Hunter Freedom Unite on the PSP. Uh, but Monster Hunter overall, I've always loved like the idea of focusing on really intense combat as the central part of a game where it's very strategic, very moment-to-moment, -moment, requires skill, but it also requires a lot of strategy, a lot of pre-planning. 
Uh, and the monsters are always like big and imposing and scary. And when you get together with friends, like that's a, a really singular experience. I mean, I think it's a, a wonderful, um, wonderful, wonderful thing that has not been replicated. I know other games have tried to horn in on it, but I haven't seen anything that has come close yet. Number six, uh, The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt. Love Geralt. I love Witcher 3. I mean, it's a massive game. There's so much content, so much to do, so much to see, and all of it is really, really good. I did literally every quest in that game because I didn't want to miss out on anything, and it was worth doing. I was never bored. I thought it was... Uh, the storytelling was great. Characterizations were great. I mean, every quest was had a twist, and I mean, it was just like front to back. Like, it was just one of the best RPGs I think ever made. I mean, I don't know how they're going to outdo that with um, Cyberpunk. I mean, I hope they try, but The Witcher 3 is head and shoulders above so much else out there. It's just a phenomenal piece of work. Number five would be Helldivers on PS4. Probably, for me, the best co-op game ever made. I think it's incredibly intense, really fast-paced, really brutal and deadly. But when you get together with your friends, and uh, I played with my wife and my son, uh, that was a, an amazing experience. I love the art direction. I love the mechanics of it. Uh, like, I just I couldn't get enough of that game. We did basically everything in that game. Um, got all the achievements and everything. I mean, it was just like wonderful. I mean, wonderfully produced, and I'm really looking forward to what those developers do next. Number four, Darkest Dungeon. Uh, again, um, wonderful game that I, I maxed 100%. One trend with me is like, if I really love a game, I will, I will 100% it. Like, I don't do that often, and I'm not a completionist at heart, but for games that really click, I love to do everything in them, and Darkest Dungeon is one where I did literally every single thing that you could do. Uh, great mechanics, great art design, great themes. Um, I just, everything about it is perfect. I love Darkest Dungeon so much. Uh, number three, Fallout New Vegas. So a little bit of Fallout Love, not three, but New Vegas. I thought the quests and the writing were just fantastic. Um, so much to do, so much to see, so worthwhile to explore. Um, so many memorable characters. Uh, I mean, everything about it was just great. I just, I had a blast playing that game. I loved it so much. And that is definitely, for me, my favorite of all the Fallout games. Number two, Demon Souls. Had to have some kind of souls on here, and I think Demons is the best because I think the story is the best. It's the most approachable, the most coherent. Um, the ending is phenomenal, and it really did set the stage for everything to come. I know people give Dark Souls the credit for really pushing this series into the limelight, but I think that Demon Souls is really, um, honestly, the better game. So I will always love that one forever. That is definitely my favorite. And number one, again, a little bit of synergy here with you, Corey. Um, Mass Effect as a trilogy probably my favorite thing in all of gaming. If I had to pick one game, I probably would pick number one. I do like the character, you know, the loyalty quests and getting to know those characters in the second game. I think those are really strong, but I think the main story was incredibly weak in number two, and I really didn't like the direction they took. So, like, the moments were good. The vignettes were good, but, like, overall as a game, I thought it really stumbled pretty hard. Uh, but if I had to pick just one, Mass Effect number one for me is perfect, despite some of the mechanical problems. It told a complete story. It felt like a very fast-paced kind of sci-fi space opera. The characters are great, super memorable. I mean, I love being on um, that moment when you have to decide what you're going to do with Rex and, like, what you're going to do with all your other characters. I mean, just everything at the end when it becomes kind of an action game. Like, it's just, it was so great. Everything about Mass Effect is wonderful. So those are my top ten. Uh, yeah, and I think we're almost to the end of the show, almost to the end of the content. We only have one more question, but Corey, what did you think of my top 10? Any surprises? Anything uh, taken aback? Uh, I am a little bit surprised. I know you've praised West of Loathing so much, but I sort of have a thing where I have to, like, play a game and then wait, like, a year or so before I can really decide if it's worthy of being on my top 10, and I think the newest game on my top 10 is super hot, and even now I'm like, I mean, I played that game, like, two or three years ago, and now I'm like, hmm, is it too soon? Is it too soon to put this on my top 10? But at this point, I don't think it is. So I'm a little surprised that you're, um, I don't know, that West of Loathing is already, like you just played that game and it's already on your top 10. It's pretty phenomenal. But I did have your, I did have those same concerns. I was actually asking myself if it was too soon. But as I was going through my list last night, I did notice that some of the things on there felt pretty outdated where, I mean, even taking West of Loathing out of the equation, looking at what I did have, I'm like, you know, some of these I just don't feel anymore. And so I needed to, you know, maybe put them on a, you know, honorable mention or something list. But like I had a, a gap and I'm like, well, you know, I think West of Loathing, it was new. I mean, it is new, but I, I really loved it. I think that um, critically it's amazing and I did love it, what it did mechanically. So it may be a little bit new. I do concede that point for sure. But um, I think the stuff that I got off just didn't deserve to be there anymore. And I didn't want to have only nine. So I think I'm going to roll with that for now. I 
I feel pretty good about it, though. I feel pretty good about it, but I hear your concerns. That's a valid point. <laughs> um, okay, thank you for the questions, Hayes 777 Final question of the show, and which is perfect because we're almost out of time. Phil Holmes, who is pholmes122, says, Corey, what's for lunch? <laughs> um, oh, I mean, to be completely honest, today I haven't, I didn't eat lunch yet. I had... I shoved a donut in my face before recording today, and I have iced coffee in front of me. So if that counts, then that was lunch today. Donut and iced coffee? That sounds like a pretty good lunch. <laughs> uh, I hear that. As for me, um, I had a little bit of a cold cuts plate earlier with some hummus and some Greek olives, a little bit of macaroni salad, and some Lebanon bologna. So that was a pretty good little plate, but I didn't. there wasn't a lot left, so I kind of just like ate what was left of each of those things. Um, so that was pretty tasty. But I think um, for lunch proper, uh, I hate to say it, but Taco Bell, I guess, because I got to go and I've got like five (laughs) minutes to get to work. So I think I can probably make a quick run for the border and then be on my way. So today it's Taco Bell. Thank you very much for the question, Phil. I'm a little bit embarrassed to to say that, but there you go. And not to rush things, but I got to rush things. And this brings us to the end of the show. Um, Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, everybody, for those questions. I love answering questions like this. I know we don't do... Q&A shows all the time, but when we do, I think it's really fun. Did you have a good time with this, Corey? Yeah, we had some pretty excellent questions. I was telling Patrick last night, I was like, wow, people really ask like some good questions this time around. So thank you everyone who submitted some questions. We appreciated it and hopefully answered them to your approval. Yeah, you guys are awesome. We have great listeners. We have great fans. I'm really thankful for the fan base that we have. And those questions were really good. I really like those questions a lot. Um, so thanks again, and I'm pretty sure we answered all of them. I think we did. If we missed you, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure we got everybody. Uh, so good times, good times. Thanks again. But now we got to go. So please remember, uh, if you want to send us more questions for the future, or if you have thoughts, feedback, anything else you'd like to send us, you can always reach out to us, so videogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at Game Critics after the show goes up there. We are on Twitter, at SoVideoGames as a collective, but you can also reach out to us individually, which is probably more effective. Uh, my Twitter handle is also my Instagram handle. It's B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, my handles are also my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. Please reach out if you've got the notion and... That's going to bring us to the end of another So Video Games. We will be back next week with another installment, and I think we will be back with our regular format next time. Uh, But for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.